1: The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com. Forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, Kingstown Communion.net.
2: Kingstown. I'm Tanya Seifert. It's been really nice to worship with all of you virtually over the last several months. Today's reading is from the Book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Likewise, the Spirit help us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn it, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we have been working our way through a sermon
1: series called What We Talk About When We Talk About God. And today we are talking about the God who is for. And when we talk about the God who is for, we can't do so without talking about water skiing. I have only tried to water ski one one time and it did not go well. I don't know if you have noticed this yet about me, but um, most stories about Michelle and some kind of learning a new sport don't tend to go well. If you have ever water skied before, you'll remember that first time when it's excruciating, you're floating there in the water, your life jacket is like strangling you and you're being told to keep the rope between your skis. And someone on the boat is repeating that same bit of advice, annoying advice, over and over and over again. You might know this advice. Let the boat pull you up. The people on the boat, sometimes multiple people who have all done this before, they say, they say it like it's the most sensible thing imaginable. But to someone who has never water skied before, it sounds like complete nonsense. You have to lean back to go forward. You have to stay down to get up. And, and so as a result of all this confusion, many people on their, their first attempt at water skiing get pulled forward out over the front of their skis. I did that. And of course they ignore all the advice and follow their natural inclination. And they think that somehow miraculously they are going to lift themselves up onto the water, which of course doesn't work because you can't just get yourself up on your own onto the surface of water. Learning to water ski, which I never, I would say I never learned to water ski, requires a a person to make the counterintuitive leap from trying to do what seems natural to you, which is to get yourself up onto the surface of the water, to instead trusting that the boat will do all the work for you. And this is why when we talk about God, the God who is for, we have to talk about water skiing. Because at the heart of who God is, is is something we call gospel. It's good news. And gospel is always an unexpected foreign notion, a strange idea, a counterintuitive way of being and thinking that cuts against many of the dominant ways we've come to believe are how the world works around us. And so here's the, the counterintuitive idea of gospel. In, in one of his first teachings, Jesus announces God's blessing on those he calls the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are those who are lacking, who don't have it all together, who are acutely aware of how they don't measure up. And this word blessing that Jesus uses is this rich, evocative, loaded word, and it essentially means God is on your side. Jesus says, I am on the side of, I am for the poor in spirit. That's the gospel. And I, I talk about the gospel, Jesus' announcement of good news and blessing and forness for everybody who needs it because over the years I found that most of us are operating always under this assumption, under the conviction that if we could just be a little better, if we could be better, if, if they could be better, more moral, more disciplined, more spiritual, more kind, more courageous, more holy, more righteous, whatever religious jargon you picked up along the way. If we could just be more of all that than we would be in. We would be accepted, embraced, affirmed by God. I mean, isn't, isn't that the only thing that really matters to God in the end, that you're a good person? Do you know how many times I, I have heard this? That being a Christian, coming to church, being a part of a church is really just about being a good person. It sounds, it sounds really good. Being and doing good are obviously central to what it means to be human. But it's not central to what it means, what Jesus means when he talks about gospel. I wonder if you can hear the subtle belief system just below the surface of that claim that that all that really matters to God is that we're good people. Let's look underneath that. The belief system under the surface of that is that, that God operates according to a point or merit system. And if you do the good and the right and the decent thing, then you will get the points you need to get on God's good side. And then God will be for you. But that's not the gospel. The gospel instead is 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 shocking. It's provocative, it's revolutionary and and like water skiing, it is totally counterintuitive. The gospel is the good news that you can't pull yourself up onto the water, that instead in your, in your moments of greatest despair and failure and sin and weakness, losing and failing and frustration and helplessness and wandering and falling completely apart and falling short of God's plan, that God meets you there, right there right exactly there in that place and announces, I am on your side. I am for you. The gospel insists that God doesn't wait for us to get ourselves polished up, to learn all the water skiing, all the ways to water ski. (laughs) But God meets us and blesses us while we are in the middle of the mess we've created. God is for us. Gospel isn't doing enough good to be worthy. It's it's your eyes finally seeing your unworthiness. And and Jesus' insistence that worthiness was never the gauge of the gospel anyways. Which brings us to our scripture today. Did you hear it this morning? Paul in in Romans uh, describes the counterintuitive nature of the gospel. He says, don't you know that the spirit doesn't fill you because you're strong? The spirit helps you in your weakness. We don't pray like we should. We, none of us do, and yet the spirit is still there praying for us and with us. And so if God is for us, if God blesses us even in our weakness, Paul says that who on earth can stand against us? Paul says this is the story of the God in Jesus Christ who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for us. Will he not also give us everything else? For who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or will distress, or will persecution, or will, will famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, or anything? No, none. For we can be sure. Paul says that God is for us in our weakness. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus. That's the gospel. Pay attention. Pay attention to the dusty, messy, bloody, unexpected stories about Jesus. The Jesus who touches lepers, who no one else would touch, and who, who hears the cries of blind people who had been told to be quiet, and who dines with, with tax collectors whom everybody hated, and who talks with the thirsty, the thirsty, loose Samaritan women who happen to congregate around the well, Over and over and over again, we see Jesus going to the edges, to the margins, to those in trouble, those despised, those no one else would touch, those poor in spirit. He moves towards them, the blind, the lame, the lost, the losers. He extends himself to them. He reaches out to them. He meets them in their places of pain and helplessness and abandonment and failure. Jesus is the living, breathing evidence that God God wants everybody, everyone to be rescued and renewed and reconciled to ourselves and our neighbors and our world and to God. Romans 8, in in fact, I would say all of Romans, (laughs) is ultimately about the God who is for us in Jesus, for us on the cross. Remember on the cross, suffering the worst a person can suffer, Jesus asked, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's this this pivotal moment of Holy Week, that pivotal Holy Week question, but it's also a window into a whole new way of understanding the God who is for. What we learn from Jesus, what we, what we see in his pain and abandonment and agony is that God is there too. God is in the best, and God is in the worst. God is in the presence, and God is in the absence. God is in the power, and God is also in the utter powerlessness. God is in Your tears and and your questions and in the despair and in the lament, God is there. God is sitting with you in the ashes when you shake your fist at the sky and declare that there is no God. God is there. That's the gospel. This is the unexpected subversion and counterintuitiveness of the cross Turning to many of our ideas about God in our heads, insisting that God is so for us that that God is willing to, 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 to take on the worst that the world can bring and suffer it and absorb it and feel it right down to the very last breath. Which leads me to one. Final truth about the God who is for us and Jesus. In one of his, his his first sermons, Jesus taught his disciples to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. Because God Causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, it says. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, it says. Jesus actually said these words in an, in an agricultural setting. One in which people were, were acutely aware of their need for sun and rain. To grow their crops so they wouldn't starve. And... and Everybody had their own personal list of who was good and who was evil and who was right and who was wrong and who was righteous and who was wicked. Kind of like we do now, right? We've got our lists. And in this setting, Jesus does this shocking thing. Jesus insists that God shows no favoritism that God has been blessing and sustaining and giving to all people, even those who are opposed to God from the very beginning. This, this is why Jesus talked so much about loving our enemies. To love God is to love those whom God loves and god blesses and loves and gives to all this is terribly obvious and straightforward and yet thoroughly radical news friends because we're 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 all in one way or another indecent, aren't we? We're all indecent. We're all in one way or another. We're all addicts, aren't we? Some of us are addicted to praise, some of us to to working all the time, some of us to winning, others of us to worrying, some of us to perfection, some of us to being right, or strong, or beautiful, or thin. Perhaps perhaps you're enslaved to your own self-sufficiency, or to alcohol, or to sex, or to money, or to food. assume today you're you're like me and you have your own hang-ups your habits and sins and regrets that plague you whatever it is we all need recovery i say this because i believe jesus comes to us to free us and to forgive us and to liberate us from shame and guilt and judgment and all that holds us back. And the way that he does this liberating and empowering work in our lives is by announcing who we truly are and then reminding us of this over and over and over and over again. It's this radical word about our, our true selves, a, a, a world so, so fresh and unsettling and surprising that it requires us to trust that it is actually true, that God is indeed for us, And there is nothing, neither death or life or rulers or things present or things to come or powers or height or depth or anything else in all of creation that can separate us from God's love. It requires us to to trust that God is indeed for us. I offer this to you in the name of God of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen. I invite you now to pray for me, pray with me. Um, would you pray? God, you are for us. Not in some way where you show favoritism, not favor for us as as Christians, as um, Americans, as middle class, as wherever we are in our lives, as teachers, as as pastors, as mothers, wherever we are, God, you do not, you are not for us because we have somehow. Gained some special holiness, sacredness, Some, not because we're good, not because we're moral, not because we're worthy. But you are for us precisely in all the ways we fail. And so today we we lift up before you, God, our failures, our weaknesses, all those habits that entangle us today if we are honest before you, God, which we sometimes are not, but if we are honest before you today, we would admit that we are, we point fingers at others who are so indecent, and yet we ourselves come up short and, and indecent. We point fingers at others who are addicted to fame and ego and, and, and we, we neglect to turn the finger back on us. We are addicted to so many things. It doesn't have to be a substance, it can be addicted to our work, our self. Addicted to pleasure. Addicted to family. Addicted to my way, my control, my will, God over yours, and so we give that to you, and we were reminded, God, of how you call us over and over and over again to love our enemies, and 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 why you do that? Why do you do that, God? Because you are for us, and that means you you declare blessing on all who are poor in spirit, us and all of us. Thank you, God, for for giving us the greatest demonstration of that in your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespassing as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in into temptation, God, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Forever and ever. Amen.
0: There is peace at the table of the Lord. I